0: There are seven steps to robbing a grave. Step one, acquire knowledge of a recent or soon-to-be burial. Know its location, when the body will be placed in the grave, and begin to plan.
1: The
2: year is 1895. December. Alpha Delta Phi Society is holding a banquet in Norwich, Vermont, and in a nearby cemetery, Joseph Murdoch, death by suicide, has recently been buried. Step two, acquire accomplices and materials. John P. Gifford is hired as a waiter for the banquet, along with two other students. At 1.45 a.m., the trio heads back to Hanover, New Hampshire. 3 a.m., one of them shows up at the hotel, saying that Gifford got drunk. He asks to borrow a carriage home, off he vanishes into the night.
0: Step three. Have the driver drop you in another off the cemetery and designate a return time. Carry the tarps, shovels, and lanterns into the cemetery and locate the grave. Step four. Arrange the tarps, one on either side of the grave. Uncover the dirt and place it all in one of the tarps. Drill a row of holes into the coffin with the auger. Place a hook under the body's chin and remove. Step five, place the body on the tarp. Remove its clothes, place the clothes back in the tomb, and refill the hole with dirt step six wrap the body in one tarp counter wrap all the equipment in the other tarp and walk back to the road at the designated meeting time
2: the student returns the carriage later the horse soaking wet the blanket inside the carriage is moved across town a grave is empty
0: oh and step seven don't get caught
1: this is tales of the old burying ground stories Inspired by the Dartmouth College Cemetery.
2: Dartmouth Medical School, one of the premier institutions for medical training in the country. Founded in 1797 by Nathan Smith, it is the fourth oldest medical school. Everything told in this podcast is true, including the quotations, and all research was conducted at the Rahner Special Collections Library. Grave robbing occurred even into the 1900s, usually funded by medical schools. In fact, the founding of Dartmouth Medical School prompted a New Hampshire state law banning grave robbing. Over time, the medical school expanded to become the massive center it is today, but attendance came with a hefty price tag. What is the biggest problem facing students today? Student debt. Debt. Student debt, a constant topic, as tuitions rise year after year. Yet, even in the 1800s, the cost to attend college was a problem facing students. And for the medical students, there was one job that paid more than the others, leading to that fateful early morning in December. This story involves three prominent characters. I'm John P. Gifford, a
1: student at Dartmouth Medical School. I'm Robert L. McDermott, a student at Dartmouth Medical School.
2: I'm Gilman D. Frost, Dean of the Medical School in 1895. One of them would go on to found a highly respectable hospital. One would remain in the same position,
1: and one would fail to graduate. Hanover Gazette Extra! Grave robbing! A Dartmouth medical student arrested, charged with stealing the body of Joseph Murdoch. So read the headlines on December 11th, as Gifford
2: sits in the Norwich jail. Soon, his accomplices join him in custody. Meanwhile, the Dean of Dartmouth Medical School, Gilman D. Frost, has a controversy on his hands. Dean Frost begins to raise funds to bail Gifford out of jail, eventually securing the donation amount. The next June, he sends out another cry for help, saying that the students must be bailed out. But as there is a degree of risk to the bondsman, we do not feel that we should bear it all, since neither of us had any part in the alleged stealing. No part in the alleged stealing. Robert L. McDermott watches this, like other students at the medical college, and continues his studies. And then, in the fall of 1896, he fails to pass one class. As the New York
1: Times later reports, Having failed to pass in one subject, he was sent, according to rule, before the State Board of Examiners. The Board rejected him by a unanimous vote a day or so later. And so begins the blackmail to Dean Frost.
2: It starts with letters from McDermott.
1: It is my fierce purpose to expose the criminality of the institution. And there shall not be a highway or byway in all New England, but shall have hundreds of the accompanying circulars together with the book and copies of the affidavit.
2: McDermott submits a report to the New York Board of Regents detailing bribery at the college. The Board of Regents reports that
1: Dean of Dartmouth Medical College aforesaid offered to barter and sell to said deponent a medical diploma from the said Dartmouth Medical College.
2: A telegraph arrives in the mail to Dean Frost from McDermott.
1: Telegraph, final decision immediately. Order goes to printer for 20000 Distribution with circular began Tuesday eve, R.L. McDermott. Before long, McDermott's pamphlets are circulated across the Upper Valley. Crimes and criminals of Dartmouth Medical College. A true account of the monster crime of John P. Gifford, M.D., a demonstrator, in the college. Gifford is now under heavy bail awaiting trial for one of the vilest crimes in the calendar, also a history of the master thief, the beneficiary of Gifford's foul crime. He's committed to his plan, and word spreads like wildfire. The New York Times picks up the story. Student's plan of revenge, threatens to publish an attack on Dartmouth Medical School. But suddenly, McDermott publicly denies his involvement. Mr. McDermott denies, says he has no feelings against Dartmouth Medical College. After
2: the New York Times article, everything stopped. The book was never published by McDermott, who failed to graduate and never returned to Hanover. Gifford went on to found the Gifford Medical Center, still in operation in Randolph, Vermont. And Dr. Frost remained dean of the medical school. So the question remains, why did the book never see the light of day? Stored deep in the archives at Rauner Library is a letter that may hold a clue. We do not know who sent this, and there appears to be no other letters from the anonymous writer. Therefore, I will read this in its entirety and let you be the judge. Any words I emphasize mean they have been underlined by the writer. Dr. Frost In the early part of the present month, an idiot named Dr. Parker of Concord was in this town. While in The Wheelock, he regaled a small audience with tales of his nocturnal visits to cemeteries and gave in detail some of his exploits of himself and Gil Frost in exhuming stiffs. A detective was a guest at the hotel at the time and, hearing Parker's talk, made a memorandum of his remarks. The detective also visited Concord and added more evidence to his memorandum after making inquiries about Parker. The record shows that Parker has always connected your name with the narratives he relates. Have Parker cautioned and silenced, but be careful not to do so in your handwriting. This letter must be burned immediately. The reason for its utter destruction is obvious to its recipient. Today, there is no grave robbing associated with the medical school. Instead, bodies are donated and later cremated. In fact, this is the only way one can still be buried in the cemetery. The medical school bought a plot in 1966 located at the bottom of a ravine. A stone marker sits on the ground, engraved with the words Dartmouth Medical School. Beneath it lie the hundreds who now donate their bodies to science. Special thanks to the actors in this podcast, including Anindu Rintala, Gabby Cooper, James King, Kevin Donahue, and J.B. Thornhill. Additional thanks to freesound.com, especially these users: Soundmary, Clankbeald, George K.E. Sounds exciting, Huggy13ear, yemenosis Frankum, Straget, Dextromoramid, Vero Maringer, and Shayvan. This is Christopher Cartwright signing off.
1: Tales of the Old Burying Ground is funded by the Dartmouth College 250th Celebration Executive produced by Ilana Gralard and Colleen Goodhue with original music by Bill Gassi